Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's very special episode of TCCP is none other than Oxfordshire and former Sussex left-arm wrist spinner, Mr. Tom Hinley. So Tom, first things first, mate, thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast tonight. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you on for a chat about all things county crickets. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Uh, it's been pretty uneventful so far. Had like just a lab and then recovering from last night a bit. We had our first social as a team. So yeah, nothing too exciting for me. Oh, fair enough. So typical uni day, basically. And you yeah. mentioned the lab. If you don't mind me asking, what course are you doing at Loughborough? Uh, I'm studying sports science. I'm in my third year. So. Oh, nice. Is that the, the career path then? You're looking to get into, well, some sort of sports science, I'm guessing within cricket, or is there another sport which has taken your eye? Uh, not really. I, was, I wasn't really sure. I've never really been sure what I want to do in the world of work, really. I just always sort of enjoyed the biology and that sports side of it, obviously playing a lot of sport. And yeah, if something comes from it, it's good. And if not, I've done something I enjoy whilst being able to play cricket here as well. Exactly. It's the best of both worlds, isn't it? You've got a degree at the end of it, so you're set up in that regard. And then, as you mentioned, also playing cricket on the side. No better way to to spend your time, even though I suppose at the moment it's winter, so you need to find someone else to to kind of pass the time, don't you, when it's not the cricket season. But have you been watching the World Cup at all? I mean, we are recording this, for those who don't know, on the day of the the second semi-final between South Africa and Australia. So have you been keeping up to date with that? I tried to a little bit. I haven't watched loads of it, but I've been seeing the scores and obviously England haven't done England haven't done great and India have been doing very well by the looks of it. But I haven't managed to watch loads of it. No, in, in India have just been on a completely different planet, to be honest. Uh, they do look as though they're gonna win it, right? I mean it is going to be a final of India versus Australia. Apologies for anyone who hasn't seen the the end results of that South Africa Australia game, but the Aussies did win that one in Kolkata by three wickets. So it will be an India-Australia final. And if you were to make a prediction, Tom, just before we get into our chat about your cricketing journey, looking at those two sides on paper, you mentioned India do look incredibly strong. Do you back the hosts to win it? Uh, I don't know. I, just, I think I'd back Australia. I just have a funny feeling that they'd, they just have that little bit extra in finals compared to India and knockouts and recent comps haven't been have always sort of fallen at the last hurdle, whereas Australia sort of have that little like, winning edge, I reckon. Fair enough. So you're going with Australia. I'll go with India just to make it 1-1 on the podcast. We'll find out, won't we, on, on yeah. Sunday who wins. But it will be a good final, that. As you mentioned, Australia, I don't know how they do it, but they've just got pedigree, haven't they, in ICC tournaments. Way. When it comes to finals, they, they're unparalleled, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. They just find a way to win. It's like Maxwell the other day. Just oh, that that was ridiculous. That was <laughs> that was absolutely unbelievable. That happened actually on the day of one of our recordings, and myself and my co-host Kieran still can't believe it to this day. He did that on one leg, two hundred. Yeah, it was unbelievable, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it was. Maybe it shows that moving your feet is overrated when it's when you're batting. Just <laughs> stand still and try and hit it. I have seen that a lot actually on social media recently. I mean, are you? Are you a buyer into that theory in terms of almost that stand and swing mentality? Or do you, do you believe in the importance of footwork? I've seen that quite often, actually, on Twitter yeah. in recent days, Tom. So which theory do, do you subscribe uh, to? I've never been a massive move of my feet myself. I'm more of, it's more of a, if you get your head in the right position, I think generally your hands will get you out of trouble most of the time. That's how I view it anyway. Fair enough. Uh, and again, that is something which has popped up a lot, actually, in recent weeks. And that Glenn Maxwell innings is a testament to that. And funnily enough, tonight he did move his feet and got bowled. So <laughs> who knows? Might just be something for Glenn Maxwell. But to be honest, I do think all of them do play a role in terms of your batting. So your footwork's important. Head movement, as you mentioned, balance, hand speed, obviously core strength as well. You need to have the, the power within you to actually strike those fours and sixes. So, yeah, it all does come together. But definitely an interesting theory, to be honest, Tom. We might have to pick up that conversation later on in the podcast. But before we jump the gun and we get into the more technical aspects of this wonderful game of ours, Tom, 
I just wanted to take it all the way back to the origins of the Tom Hinley cricketing story. So what were your first ever memories of cricket, either playing or watching this simply magnificent game? Uh, I think it was just in the back garden. I think my parents always tried to just get me into doing as many sports as possible. And I think I must have been only like six or seven in the back garden with a, with a little garden set of a ball and stumps and a little bat. And it was just, dad got me to just try and bowl everything and see what came out best. And that was where I started bowling Rispin from all the way back then. And then just sort of played then we joined the local club at under sevens and at Linfield and it all started from there really. So definitely a, a family route into the game then. Like, yeah, my dad was like he played, he never played to a amazingly high level, but we went we used to go and watch him every couple of Saturdays when he'd want to play and then I played my first ever senior game with him as well, which was nice. It was nice until he pulled his hamstring halfway through the first innings and then couldn't move for the rest of the game. But uh, it was good. Yeah, up until that point, it was it was quite a nice occasion. Goodness me, and you mentioned your dad there, Tom. Obviously, a massive influence, not just on those early days, but I'm guessing throughout your life and your cricketing journey. So, just to give him a bit of a shout out for the podcast, what is your dad's name, just for the listeners out there? Uh, my dad's called Ian Ian Henley. But to be fair, my sister plays. My my mum even got into playing the last few years as well. So. We played one game a few years ago where it was me, my mum and my sister all playing in the same game for Linfield in a friendly, which was really nice. It is so definitely a family affair then when it comes to the Hinleys. And that that's lovely to hear, it really is. And in terms of your dad, your mum and your sister, what roles do they play in the game? Are they are they batters? Are they bowlers? Are they keepers? What do they do for, uh, for Linfield? I think, I think my dad used to be a little seamer that were just off a few steps. The classic like Saturday Saturday bowler, and then my mum just she sort of bowls and bats, yeah. And sister is more of a bowler; she can whack it, but she bowls leg spin as well. So she runs in the family a little bit. Yeah, it does by that description. So every single one of your bowl and a couple of your bowl wrist spin. So that is really really interesting. And Tom, actually, just to to pick up on a, a point that you mentioned beforehand, you said from the start that you began bowling wrist spin. Now, that isn't something which actually always occurs on the podcast. For a lot of wrist spinners, it might be something which develops a bit later because they might have tried seam, it might not have worked out, or they've tried finger spin and want to be a bit different. So what was it about wrist spin in particular which drew you in in the first place? Was it because you were naturally good at it or was it because you can bamboozle the opposition? What was it about this mysterious art form which really lured you in in the first place? Uh, well, it was a bit of, it was just what I sort of connected with bowling, but obviously tried everything and that was what sort of clicked straight away, which is obviously a bit weird and probably not that normal, but I don't really, it's obviously such a long time ago, but it's obviously quite cool to be able to see and like try be able to bowl these different variations and try and like suss batters out in that way as well. I don't know, it's just something that sort of I've always done and never really thought that much about how it's not that common to sort of do that from the start. Well, it isn't, is it? Uh, not even just from the start, but even in the professional game, we don't see enough left-arm wrist spinners. So in county cricket right now, realistically, we've only got two out-and-out ones on the entire circuit, who are Jake Lintock, who plays for my county of Warwickshire, and then you've got Freddie Heldrich at North Ants. And in the past, we have seen some. So, for example, Michael Bevan used to bowl a bit. You've got Tabray Shamsi, who used to play for North Ants as well. So we do see it now and again, but it really is the, the most mysterious of all of the bowling art forms, isn't it? And yeah. in terms of those variations, Tom, the leg break, the flipper, the top spinner, the wrong gun, what is your favourite variation to bowl as a wrist spinner? I think mine's probably wrong, and I think it's almost something I'm as comfortable bowling as my leg leg break in terms of, and I've, yeah, I just enjoy it because it adds that extra. Also, being able to spin it both ways just makes it a lot more exciting and gives you a load more ways of getting batters out. Really, I guess it certainly does, and that is why it's a, a pivotal weapon, isn't it, in the spinner's arsenal? Whether you are a right or a left arm wrist spinner, runs in terms of those dismissals. Again, I love asking this to spinners because the answers usually differ to seam bowlers. But in terms of your favourite dismissal, Tom, 
what would you say is your favourite method of dismissing an opponent? I think the best way is always just like being able to like spin it through the game and bowling them, or just or beating them, and like just bowling someone because it shows that you've sort of outsmarted them or sort of just outplayed them in a way. Yeah. It certainly does. Yeah, that is always a lovely way of dismissing an opponent, isn't it? When you pitch it, even if it's outside the off stump and it comes back in, or if you're good enough like a Shane Warne, your pitch outside leg just comes back, castles the top of off. Absolutely glorious to see. I don't think there's many better sights in the game of cricket, to be honest. And talking of players like the late, great Shane Warne, you've got the likes of Rashid Khan, Adil Rashid here in England. We've seen plenty of quality wrist spinners over the years and of course plenty of other quality cricketers in both county and international crickets so in terms of influences outside of your immediate family in those early years did you have any role models any icons any influences who you tried to model your game off of in those early years per se uh well shame one was definitely one of them i remember because I, I i used to bowl leg spin holding the ball like completely wrong growing up I used to hold it like a seamer and try and bowl leg spin like that and then i i don't know how i managed it and then Obviously, growing up, you realise that that's not right. I remember watching videos from like Shane Warne going through how he holds all his variations and stuff, and that was sort of how I sort of taught myself how to hold the ball. So he was obviously a big, I think he's a big player in any one of the ball spin, really, because he was so good. And then just batting-wise, I've always loved watching Joe Root bat as well. Like, growing up, he was sort of, he was just sort of getting on the England stage when I was starting to move into hardball cricket really i think and i remember i got i think my first hardball bat was whatever one he was using and he was that was sort of my he was like my main favorite batter to watch during that period when i was growing up as well fair play some some lovely answers there and before we talk about rispin right and the dark art and we delve into that even more possibly by talking about shane warne and those videos because they are fantastic on youtube for those who haven't watched them he always mentioned about having a loose grip, didn't he? Compared to off spinners and bowling flippers and zooters and sliders. Absolutely brilliant for anyone who loves the art of spin bowling. But before we delve a little bit deeper into that, Tom, you mentioned Joe Root's batting. And I just think that's a great choice, to be honest, because he is one of England's classiest operators. What was it about his batting style which almost influenced you then? Was it the cover drives? Was it that lovely pull shot that he has, the late cut? What was it about Joe Root's style and his batting technique which you, you kind of wanted to emulate, per se? Not really sure, because I actually don't really bat like him now these days. But uh, I just think the fact that he always sort of had a smile on his face and seemed like he was enjoying himself, even when it was getting pretty tough, I think that was the main thing. So I've always been quite laid back for my cricket and try and enjoy it as much as possible. And I think just seeing him like, say he's like played a miss and then he's laughing himself or laughing at the bowl or whatever i think that's just something that sort of just resonated with me a bit and i just enjoyed watching that like positive way of going about it really well i think that's a nice way to look at it because even though cricket can be a very cutthroat sport at times you do have to enjoy it it's a game there are far more serious things in life than the game of, of leather and willow there really are and in terms of that attitude tom well, where do you think that actually originates from? Is that just in cricket or are you just a, a laid-back character in general? Is that just Tom Henley? I think in general I'm pretty laid-back, but I think also the fact that I've... I think once you, I've been caught on the boundary enough to sort of be able to get on with it and like accept it and know it's part is going to happen and sort of... Unless it's... Yeah, so I just try and... Like, you can't change it once. If you're out, you're out. Like, there's no point beating yourself up too much. Just have to get on with it and that's the nice thing about being an all-rounder is if you get out for nothing you can then bowl and try and affect the game in that way which is something that I think is always I've always had in my favour sort of always trying to be involved in the game whether it's about all ball which is good because I think that was the main reason why like a lot of my family do both do all bowl and then bat is because we want we're always sort of told to sort of get involved as much as possible because playing football growing up it was never like don't go and goal because you won't touch the ball you won't you won't do much so it's like the same in cricket you just you'd get the most out of it by being an all-rounder because you get to do everything so i think that's sort of 
where it comes from, really. Well, that's completely understandable. And again, it's a great attitude to have because as an all-rounder, you can impact the game in so many ways, can't you? So the obvious one is in the field because everyone can do that. It's where you spend the vast majority of your time. But if you do have the extra strings to your bow, to bats and bowl in the game of crickets, it is like gold dust, isn't it? I mean, we look now in in modern white ball crickets, every team pays the big bucks for an all-rounder, don't they? So, for example, like a Glenn Maxwell, right? He's the one who immediately comes to mind. Mitch Marsh has also been in fantastic form. Ben Stokes and Sam Curran got mega deals at the IPL. If you can have all of those different facets to your game, you are going to be a hot commodity in the game of cricket. And in terms of, of bowling in particular, Tom, because as I said, we don't have enough conversations. We've left our wrist spinners, even though we have had both Jake and Freddie on the podcast. It is the dark art, isn't it, when it comes to bowling. In terms of spin bowling itself, what do you say is the most rewarding thing about being a spin bowler? I think it's the I think the most rewarding thing is like when you come up with a plan and then execute it really, because you do all the work over the winter and your consistency and like variations for that. And if you see a batter and then sort of work out how you want to try and get them out. And then you manage to like carry that out. I think that's the most rewarding thing because you've planned it all out and then executed as well. I bet it makes you feel incredibly clever as well, doesn't it? When yeah. you can do that. <laughs> it's something, honestly, that comes up so many times with spin bowlers. It's all about making the opposition look a bit daft, a bit foolish, a bit stupid. Whether you deceive them in the flights, whether you deceive them with a bit of extra bounce or you just slide it in a bit quicker. Honestly, it is. <laughs> it's tremendously satisfying, isn't it? Making an opponent look absolutely daft at the crease. And in terms of the flip side of that, Tom, because bowling at its best is incredibly rewarding. It's brilliant, isn't it? When you do get those fifers and those match-defining wickets and you bowl well. But at the same time, in particular, as a spin bowler, there are going to be times of immense pressure. You're going to get smacked about the park and... You will have these bad balls and these bad spells and even match-losing moments. So in terms of the more difficult aspects of the art form, what do you think is the most difficult thing about being a wrist spinner? I think it's just that consistently like being able to get into a spell and getting comfortable, really. Because if you are a bit a bit stiff and all of a sudden you've bowled a couple of bad balls in your first over, been hit for a few boundaries, and all of a sudden you're, you've gone for like 12... 15 off your first over all of a sudden you're doubting whether you should be on the captain might be thinking of taking you off already so it's quite tough because it's not like say you're an offspin you can fire a couple in early to get into your spell it's not necessarily can do that so I think just settling in and just giving yourself a chance is so it's like I'd like to start my spells normally with a few men on the boundary just to if you do bowl a bad ball at the start you've got that cover and it's one rather than four just allows you to get into your spell a bit better. And you'd rather go at sixes, even in the Red Bull game. First couple of overs go for a few, but you settled in. You can then drag that back over the course of the innings, hopefully. Well, that's incredibly interesting to hear because, in a way, that almost brings me on to my next question. And in terms of your spin bowling, how do you view yourself in the spinner's archetype? Because we here on the podcast always almost categorise it into two. So you've got your stump-to-stump wicket-taker, and then you've got your pressure builder, who maybe isn't so aggressive, but they're economical. So, for example, it's something which Jake Lintott did fantastically for Warwickshire in his first season in 2020. So in terms of your role in the cricket team, Tom, how do you view yourself? Are you that aggressive stump-to-stump wicket-taking option who might go for a few more runs, or are you the more economic type? How do you view your spin bowling? I think i put myself in the more trying to get wickets for Marco for a few more runs, sort of. But like, I've, you obviously practice to try and find a balance between the two and sort of, you know, I want to get to a stage where I'm able to do both almost and do whatever. So, but yeah, I think I'd always, you do bowl bad balls and you accept it and sometimes you get wickets off and if you bowl full toss, getting caught with wicket or something, that's just as good as bowling a good ball and getting them out bowled. It's the same. So, like, yeah, I think I'd definitely put myself in that category. Good. I like to hear that because that's exactly why we like seeing wrist spinners. It is for those stump-to-stump balls. It's for having those massive turners. I think back to, obviously, Shane Warne's ball of the century. That was an absolute jaffer. 
But then more recently, I think it was in 2021, the ball from Matt Parkinson to Imam Hack at Edgebaston, which turned yeah. 12.1 degrees. Absolute seed, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah, no, exactly. That's why you do it. You do it for moments like that. And there's, you know, that's why you try and spin the ball big because you can bowl balls like that. And you, you will bowl bad balls, but then when you bowl a ball like that, it sort of reminds you why you do it almost, doesn't it? Absolutely. And just on that similar vein of thinking, Tom, before we get into our chat about the likes of Oxfordshire, Sussex, and your experiences for the England eleven in this year's European Cricket Championships, just one final thing about spin bowling for the time being, and that would be any pieces of advice that you'd have for any young spinners out there. Because Shane Warne, for example, used to mention this all the time on those tutorials, but when you're young and maybe the leg spinners aren't quite landing the way you want to, that the first thing that 99% of bowlers do is immediately switch to seam or finger spin, don't they? They don't carry out that journey of wrist spin. So in terms of some pieces of advice or some pearls of wisdom, basically, for young spinners, in particular wrist spinners, who maybe feel as though this might be quite difficult and maybe isn't the route that they want to go down, what advice would you give them to keep them on this particular path? Uh, I just yeah, just keep persevering with it and keep trying. You got yeah, if you keep just trying to spin it as much as you can and keep practicing, you you should eventually improve and get better, and then you'll get the chance in games where you take wickets, bowling really good balls, and you'll be you'll be like it all paid off. But then, and also you can work harder to keep going, and you can change later down the line if it's still by then still not clicked. Well, people develop at different stages, so. But I, but some people will be really good at it early and then they'll lose it and maybe become a batter when they're a bit older. So it might just be that you just need to keep persevering and your time will come a bit later than others. You just have to, yeah, I think just stick with it and don't be scared of bowling bad balls. And if you get hit for runs, I just wouldn't worry about it. I think just You just need to sort of keep going and enjoy yourself, really. You certainly do. I think that's some great advice. And it is something which comes up time and time again with wrist spinners, you just have to be patient. The vast majority of spin bowlers, whether that's wrist spinners or indeed finger spinners, tend to develop and mature in their late 20s. So if you are 17 or 18 and you're bowling wrist spin and you're thinking, hmm, well, th this isn't working out just yet, just try and stick with it. Because in the modern game, whether it's in first-class cricket, list A cricket, or indeed T20 cricket, even T10 cricket nowadays, we've even got T10, the modern wrist spinner is gold dust to any captain. You always want to play a wrist spinner in T20 cricket in particular because they're game difference makers, aren't they? They are X-factor bowlers. That is exactly why you want a wrist spinner in your team. So to any young boys and girls out there who are maybe struggling with their wrist spin, go onto YouTube, watch those Shane Warne tutorials, watch some Rashid Khan tutorials, stick with this art form, in particular if you're a left-arm wrist spinner because we need to see more of it, not just in county cricket, but in the regional stuff as well, and of course in international cricket, left-arm wrist spinners of the world, continue your craft, because you will absolutely not regret it in the future. And Tom, in terms of your professional journey then, we've spoken there an awful lot, actually, about the art of wrist spin and your early cricketing days, but we haven't quite spoken about your time in the county circuit yet. So in terms, first and foremost, of your time at Sussex, how did that opportunity materialise in the first place how did you go from playing for your local club at Linfield to representing the Martlets of Sussex County Cricket Club well I sort of I was in the district stuff in under nines and under tens so I remember trying for that I think I played a year up in the first year of districts and then the county stuff sort of you had trials at the start each year from under tens onwards and I've just been in the pathway since then I remember at the start, like under 10s, I used to bat, bat nine and bowl a little bit. And then you sort of find your way. And I think under, I think when we were under 14s, we played a game at the Oval, which was like, amazing against Surrey, which was like, I remember, I think I was got four, I was on 46 and we had like five overs left and I'd never got a 50 before. And I got really nervous and didn't score a run for the last five overs. I just kept missing it. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was an unbelievable, unbelievable experience. And it's just, Sort of, yeah, I've been in the age groups all the way up to sort of under 16, 17s, and then onto EPPs. And at that time, they, I think, 
Richard House would just come in to his like academy, like pathway director or whatever, and change that. But he got rid of the academy the year that I would have originally started. So sort of trained in a small group there, and then sort of just played my age and the year above in the red like three day stuff and like what would have been the academy games played all of them moved into so yeah so played them and then would have been the year i would have probably started playing twos cricket was covid so didn't play my first twos game until i was i think 17 or 18. so that was quite late and i remember first twos game got 70 odd felt like it was right and then we lost they i think we're playing gloucester and they had james bracy and van buren playing and they chased 300 in the last day and then second 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 team game ever they rock up with roland jones murta bamba and blake cullen bowling and we got beaten by an innings they got 500 and we got bowled up for 100 twice so that was interesting so i played them two games and then all of a sudden a few injuries occurred and after two second team red bull games i got called up into the champ squad and played my first game the day after that on the coach and straight up to Leicester to play in that pretty much. So yeah, it's quite a whirlwind experience for the second half of that season, really. Well, you've just taken the words completely out of my mouth there. Whirlwind experience probably doesn't do it justice, does it? That is a very, very quick progression. So (laughs) two second 11 games, that's absolutely crazy. And then all of a sudden thrust into the spotlight of your debut, Tom, and yeah, just listening back to the opponents you're facing in those second 11 games sounds like a county championship match, doesn't it? Goodness me, quite the, the baptism of fire in many a, ways. Yeah, it was a bit of a, well, not a reality check, but a realisation on how good these people are that you're wanting to try and do well against, really. And I'd, I did all right, and I thought I did all right in them games, and then probably wasn't quite prepared for a first-class game that early on having most of my experience just been like academy cricket really and three-day stuff but no it was all very good and I've enjoyed it all hopefully can do it again at some point well yeah exactly I mean (laughs) there's still plenty of time as we mentioned beforehand when it comes to spin bowlers in particular look at Jake Lintot right I know I keep on mentioning him but he came back into the county circuit in 2020 he had a couple of seasons of trialing and just playing second 11 crickets went down to Taunton and was a teacher, actually, a local college down there, and then made his way back into the game via that second 11 stint at Warwickshire and just hammering the door down. So you never know, Tom, if you keep on plugging away, that opportunities can definitely materialise again in the future. Do not give up on this county cricket dream. And in terms of that debut, just touching upon that game, because... (laughs) <laughs> that is quite the the baptism of fire, isn't it? Two second eleven matches, and then all of a sudden you're playing in a first class match at Grace Road against Leicestershire. First and foremost, when did you find out about that, and what was your initial reactions to finding out uh, that you'd be making your debut? Yeah, well, originally I got uh, called. So I got a message. I think so. I think we travelled up on Saturday to then start on Sunday. So I think I got a message on Thursday of that week saying, can you come in from Keith Greenfield? I didn't really know what it was about. So I came in, went to his office and he basically said, oh, we're signing you on a two week deal and you're in the squad to go up to Leicester this week. So I, I just then sort of assumed that I'll be doing 12th man. And then we got onto the, I got onto the coach and sort of started like working out who was there. And sort of going through the squad and realised that one of the lads was injured and was travelling with the squad but wouldn't be able to play. And then there was an academy lad that was there who was meant to, to who was obviously going to do 12th man. So then it was a sort of like on the coach was the point it sort of clicked that I was probably going to be playing. So it all sort of happened really quick. Just go in, sign a contract, go and pick up all your kits. I don't have any of the right kits. So I got a little training kit, the whites. Got just given a, given a number. And then it was back home onto the coach and then up to Leicester and then played the next day pretty much. Crikey, again, that all seems very, very fast, doesn't it? In terms yeah. of how things transpired. A phone call, here's your contract, get your kits, get on the bus, first class of debut. Yeah. Goodness me, that might be 
one of the <laughs> the most rapid debuts I think we've actually had on the podcast, and we're 270 yeah. episodes in, Tom. And in terms of that day itself, so before we get into the intricacies of the game and we, we look back on your performance, just walking out onto that field for the very first time, I know it would have been different if it would have been at Hove and it would have been at your home county, but still making your first-class debut at Grace Road, one of the 18 first-class headquarters. What was that like, walking onto the field for the very first time and wearing that Martlet's cap and representing Sussex County Cricket Club? Yeah, no, it was, um, it's unbelievable. It's what you've worked your whole life for, really, and it's what you've always sort of dreamed of doing. And it's, you just sort of have to make sure you like, appreciate the moment because it was something, obviously, that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. And I think Ian Salisbury was one of the coaches at the time, summed it up pretty well. Like, he just went, you're still playing cricket, it's just people are paying to watch you. And that's pretty much, that's how he described it. And it's true, because I'd never really played in front of a crowd before. And it's like, with a stadium with stands like that, it's like, just something, especially Leicester as well, they have their little group of ultras one side of the pitch as well, that are quite loud, with their Vufu Taylor and whistles. So that was quite like a, Sort of, it was a nice sort of thing because it sort of takes your attention off sort of the and the size of the scale of sort of the situation a bit because you can sort of just laugh at that and but yeah it's something that I've I'm never going to forget and sort of it's a like, special memory yeah and as it should be because nobody ever seems to forget that debut do they because as you so well articulated there Tom it's the moment you've waited your entire life for it's what all of this hard work sacrifice dedication has led up to and being able to fulfill that dream must be absolutely incredible I mean a lot of people myself included and millions of other people worldwide never get that opportunity so again just to to make that debut is a tremendous achievement and in terms of the game itself were you nervous or or quite laid back how were the, uh, the the feelings uh, on that day? I was quite. I'm, I tend to be quite a nervous waiter, especially when I'm waiting to bat. I think it's the worst. Fielding and bowling is not too bad, but waiting to bat. And I was batting seven or whatever, so obviously there's plenty of time to wait. And I think we did pretty well first thing. I think Ben Brown got hundred, so it was quite nice as well. When I went out to bat, eventually I was batting with him at the time, and he's very experienced and sort of helped me through it. And also. I think Abby Sikande was bowling at the time as well, who's a Linfield boy as well. So that was obviously quite nice in a way to sort of feel like I knew someone on the opposition, which you don't wouldn't normally get making a debut like that. So I think I got my first run off him as well, which was quite quite a nice thing. And that, that first run sort of calms nerves as well, sort of knowing that you've sort of got off the mark and you're getting going. And then that first boundary just you just you just settle down and I quite enjoyed it actually I think it was quite like good to test yourself against because I think it was Chris Wright bowling under lights at the towards the end of the day which was quite a tough challenge but was doing a bit it was quite quite like an enjoyable challenge to try and dig in and get through to the end of the day and managing to do that was pretty like satisfying and then I wasn't actually too nervous at the overnight between because I'd never batted overnight either that was my first time doing that as well yeah so that was quite interesting but I actually wasn't too nervous getting to the next morning sort of that day before it settled everything down a bit yeah that was pretty good well I'm glad to hear that Tom and again it's it's quite the memorable debut isn't it not just in terms of that time frame the almost manic rush to get to the ground in the first place but as you mentioned a completely new experience in terms of playing in front of a crowd in terms of being not out overnight, a completely new sensation. So definitely a tremendously special day. And in terms of your family, did they get to make the trip up or did they watch it on the live stream? Like, did, did they at least get to watch you in, in some capacity in that game? Yeah, I think, I think they didn't get to... They, I think they were offered tickets so they, also, they can get the time of work and they can... It's a trek. <laughs> it's yeah, a trek, isn't it? Was, it? <laughs> and it was sort of too like, late for them to organise stuff. So they, I think they watched on the stream. It's probably a pretty special moment for them as well. And I've still got my cap somewhere at home, and yeah, no, it's good. And then, yeah, no, it will be. It was they were watching on the stream somewhere, I think. And I got a lot of like well done messages from people, which is really nice as well. It's nice seeing that like support from everyone, even people you've 
who have helped you through your career that you've not see, spoken to for a few years saying well done and stuff. So it just reminds you of like where you've come from and how hard you've worked to get to where you are. It certainly does. And in terms of those people who have had that profound impact on your cricketing journey to date, which, to be honest, is still very much in its budding stages. We're not exactly, you know, 10, 15 years into your career. There's still plenty of time, isn't there, to be honest, to get back into county cricket and achieve some more great things for Oxfordshire and, of course, in the in the European Cricket Championships. So in terms of of your biggest influences, Tom, who do you say has had a real impact, maybe in terms of those at Sussex or in terms of those at Lindfield? Who do you think has had a real impact on the Tom uh, Hinley that we see today? I think well, I had a coach called Matt Parsons who I had a lot of one-to-ones with in my like, early teens. He was always he was always pretty harsh on me and tough and never made it that easy, which was pretty good. Like You didn't necessarily enjoy it at the time, but it's obviously, you're obviously grateful, grateful for it now. And then I'd say Richard Housel was probably, he was probably the biggest influence on sort of the, like, how I view cricket and how I try and play it. He was very, if this is how you play and you get out doing that, that's fine. And that sort of stuck with me in terms of, he was like in a Red Bull game, if you're good at whacking spin over the bowler's head and you get caught long on the first ball, the spinner comes on, he, he wouldn't care. He'd be more worried if you'd got out like trying to sweep, and that's not what you'd do. And it was that attitude, and it was also his attitude towards fielding, because obviously he's an international quality fielding coach for Bangladesh. And it was just like again, just always take the positive option when it comes to going for a catch, batting, bowling, just whatever you do, just take that positive option, and you can't go. That won't lead you that far wrong, really. And then. The other person was Rob Furley at Eastbourne, my two years at college there. He was just like a big, again, mindset-based. He was always trying to get under your skin, make it a bit uncomfortable for you. But it's what you need, and he was always just there pushing pushing you that extra yard. And then, obviously, he's a very good bowling, batting coach as well. And he was paired with James Treadwell at the time, which probably couldn't have been any more ideal for the two years I was there. It was That was probably the most I've developed as a cricketer in a two-year span over the course of my career as well. Well, some lovely, lovely choices there, Tom, and some nice shout-outs as well to the likes of Matt Parsons, Richard Housall, and of course those two at Eastbourne College as well. James Treadwell's name has come up on this podcast before. He's definitely had quite the influence on a number of cricketers in the county circuit. So again, I thought that was really nice to, to hear that they've had such a profound impact on your journey. And Before we touch upon the European Cricket Championship, because we have to touch upon that, and in particular your batting, because some of those performances were absolutely electrifying, and we will touch upon them in due course, mate. But in terms of those, well, I was going to say final days at Sussex, but the the culmination of your time with the Martlets, what do you say was your, your more difficult moment then from your time at Sussex? Because I'm guessing the debut would have been tremendously proud, and you did very well. I must say you got 19 on your debut, which compared to some people's debuts where they get golden ducks or run out for one or two runs, that's a pretty decent debut. So aside from the more proud moments and the better moments from your time down on the South Coast, Tom, what would you say were your more difficult moments from your time with the Martlets? I think the toughest thing I found was, I don't think I realised sort of, what it was entailed because I was at uni at the time and I don't think anyone at Sussex had sort of done the uni I think bar Harrison Ward I don't think anyone had really done the university and professional contract at Sussex in any like recent times since I was there so I think I didn't really know how to go about it and I think I got that slightly wrong and I, I didn't really go back that much to train down there I spent a lot more time up in Loughborough training which is obviously still world-class training facilities and training and everything. So I just assumed that I'd do that and then come back, play twos cricket and sort of then rejoin them for the second half of the year once uni's done. So I think it was a bit of, I didn't realise how to go about it. And I think also, I didn't get that much support on the other way. So I don't think they'd had to do it for anyone. So it was sort of a bit of a two-way thing in that. But again, and then got back and then it was quite tough playing a few twos games and then 
not really getting any opportunities was I found quite hard to sort of and then having ending up playing academy games as like a year older player because there was no twos cricket on during the Royal London and not being involved in the squads for that it was quite a tough point and then that's how Oxfordshire came about through basically getting told that the academy games were pointless because you'd already sort of shown that you can do it in that environment. So we went and played for Oxford for a game against Dorset in a three-day. Really enjoyed that. That was good. Came back and then got told that I basically had to show I could do it in second-team cricket, which is fair enough. That is the point of it. And then getting 100 last game of the season, I sort of viewed that as a, okay, I think I've hopefully done enough to, earn myself a, another go next year hopefully and then getting obviously told you're getting released is pretty pretty tough especially after feeling like you've not had that many opportunities to show what you can do really well if you don't mind me me just touching upon that in a bit more detail tom what were the the emotions like on that day and and being told that you were released because this has, has cropped up time and time and time again on this podcast in particular when it comes out of the blue it's a really difficult thing to go through, isn't it? So in terms of that day when you found out that you were being released by the club, I mean, what, what was going through your mind at that moment? I think it's just like, obviously disappointed, sad, probably a little bit angry as well, a bit frustrated at sort of all of them sort of emotions. But yeah, I think, yeah, I was just mainly disappointed, really. I felt like I could offer something different and I feel like I especially after getting that hundred I felt like I'd sort of started to show that I can do it do it at that level but obviously they saw that differently and that's fine. But yeah it was it was tough. It was tough but I think it's it's helped I think actually getting away from that sort of environment and moving up to uni full time I'm 10 times quicker I was when I was signed I think now compared to back then which is obviously, it's obviously tough because you see if I was like I am now then would I still have a contract and all that stuff and it's tough but then you come up here and we've had lads that have been in a very similar situation I think like Nils Priestley being here the last couple of years he's been a big sort of role role model in a way to me sort of how he's improved so much the last couple of years after being released as well sort of shows that it's not the be all and end all and it's so early on in my career I've got so much time still to hopefully progress keep progressing keep getting better and I might have never played and played for Oxfordshire if I was still signed might have never played in this European T10 thing if I was still signed so it's it's it is what it is and I've got over it now I've accepted it and it's tough. It's tough seeing people that you've grown up playing with, obviously still playing at Sussex as well, knowing that you've done just as well as them, like played with them your whole life. But yeah, it is what it is. It is, and unfortunately, it is part and parcel of county cricket and professional sport, isn't it? There is that cutthroat element to it. But Tom, the way that you have to take it is exactly as you just mentioned there you've got to use it as motivation and you can't let it define you because so many fantastic players have had setbacks whether that's through injury or indeed they've been released by their clubs and then they come back I think back to to Chris Rushworth Chris Rushworth didn't just have one long stint at Durham he got released the first time around and worked his backside off to get back into the game so that's what you need to do you need to use it as extra motivation to take extra opportunities and just improve as a cricketer. County yeah. cricket's a very, very funny place. All it takes is one big performance. You mentioned Nils. Great, great guest on this podcast, by the way. Shout out to Mr. Priestley. Yeah. Wonderful player for staffs as well. Had an outstanding performance at the National Counties Finals Day. And it's performances like that which put you in the shop window. It gets trials. It gets opportunities. And all of a sudden, that county career is beckoning once more. So that is exactly the attitude that you have to have. And in terms of your experiences at Oxfordshire, Tom, before we touch upon your experiences for the England eleven down in, in Malaga at the Cartama Oval, in terms of that time spent with the National Counties outfit, 
what would you say has been the biggest lesson that you've learned from your time with Oxfordshire County Cricket Club? Uh, I think, well, I think just the, like, the graft of it all, because I'd say the standard of a lot of the minor counties games that I've played is pretty close, if not as good as second team cricket. And you play a lot of like ex-pros and it's just like, it's a really good environment. I've really enjoyed it. And I wasn't, obviously never really planned on doing it because I'm from Sussex. It's not a minor counties within two hours of there really. So I've never really been something I've considered. And then going to university, with George Tate, who's another Oxfordshire boy. And then, so sort of chatting to him about it and potentially getting me in last year for it. As to, but like one of the outsiders, you're, you're only limited to, I think, two or three of them. So getting into that was really good. And then rocking up to the first T20 of the season and Sam Patel was the other one for us. That was something I learned a lot. It was, it was good having him around, like learned a lot from him, just sort of more about like the Nousey like side of the tactical side of t20 cricket and how to go about it how he went about it and yeah no it's just it's just been nice to sort of be able to still play all formats of cricket whilst not being signed and having to trial around because trialing you're not guaranteed to necessarily play all the time whereas it was nice having that sort of oxygen to fall back on and play a full season for them sort of still feel like you're part of a high level team all season still you do and they are an integral part of the english critting structure because again on this podcast the amount of people who've had opportunities by playing for oxfordshire or berkshire or cornwall you never know what's going to happen you never know what's going to transpire just take the opportunities and the national counties really do a fantastic job and don't get me wrong it's difficult at times because you are living a semi-pro existence basically you can't live your life off playing for Oxfordshire or Berkshire or Dorset or whoever. But it keeps you in the shop window. It keeps the dream alive. And if you can do it, thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it, as yeah. I would with the UCCE scheme as well, which is absolutely fantastic. And at Loughborough, they'll keep you in safe hands. They've produced so many fantastic cricketers. We've mentioned James Bracey. They've produced Sam Cook. They've produced Michael Burgess, Hassan Azad. They've had so many players through their ranks in recent years. So... Again, just take the opportunities. I cannot stress that point enough. And in, in terms of one other opportunity, Tom, which has been the, the elephant in the room for today's podcast, and I did promise that we would talk about it, let's now move on to our chats about the European Cricket Championship because for today's episode, I'm actually in a European Cricket League shirt, repping the mighty Janjo Brescia, who competed back in 2019 in that tournament. And in 2023... You got to represent the national counties in the England eleven. So, first and foremost, how on earth did that opportunity materialise? Well, yeah, it was a weird one, really. We had a, so obviously Lambo, the Tom Lambert, the Berkshire coach, and Dan Lincoln are sort of the two main people that run it. And I think we played Berkshire in a Red Bull game, and it was a pretty tough pitch. I only got 30-odd off, but it was off like 20-odd balls and hit a few nice shots pretty early on in my innings and then hit a couple of sixes in the second innings when we were trying to chase down their score and then just got a got a message a few weeks later saying, do you want to come down to this T10 trial day, which they held where they got, I think we had four teams worth and we played a, played a, no, there's two teams worth, so 22 people that they sort of selected based on sort of what sort of bowlers and batters they want across the, all of the minor counties. We played three T10s and I did pretty well in them. And then from there, really, just all came about. So if I'd got a duck against Berkshire in that game, I would, wouldn't have gone. So Crikey. yeah, it was, came out of the blue. I had not wasn't planning on going on it. Never really thought about it until I got the message. Yeah. It's crazy how life works out sometimes, isn't it? And now yeah. you're talking to me as a European cricket champion. So, yeah, thankfully you didn't get that duck against Berkshire and, yeah, made the the plane journey over to Malaga, the Kartama Oval, which is a very unique place to play your cricket, yeah. isn't it? Let's face it, it's not quite the the same as playing at a Grace Road or a Hove, but lovely weather down there. Looked absolutely stunning 
on the live streams. And in terms of the, the tournament itself, before we touch upon the final and your performance in that game against the Dutch eleven, in terms of the group stages and the rest of the tournament, Tom, what do you say was your highlights from your time over in Malaga? Because I can think of one performance against Germany, which might stand out, but aside from that, or maybe including that, what do you say was your highlights from the earlier yeah. stages of that tournament? Uh, I think there was, I think we played Malta, I think, in the, I think it was our second game, and we'd lost a few early wickets. And Lambo was really big on just, we'll just keep going. We got, because we had so many batters and so many turnovers, we'll just keep going and just keep backing yourselves. And I think, yeah, so we'd lost a few early wickets. And I think it was me and Tom Bevan at the time. And I think came out, that was my first, like, I think that was because of the game before I'd faced one ball at the end of the game and then the game was done. So that was my first, like, proper chance to have an innings there. I think I got 20 odd, but it was like 27 off eight, I think it was, or something. And it was just sort of that, like, settled me down. And then I think Bevo got 70 odd and won us the game. So it was, like, nice to sort of, contribute to a win early doors in the comp so that was that sort of settled everything down and then and then sort of i didn't do loads in the first week really i didn't bat that well it was like i it was a sort of one shot against switzerland i think in one of the qualifiers on the in the finals day i think i hit a six and i think it was the biggest six i've ever hit and that sort of like and it's also quite cool having it on video with commentators and stuff that was sort of like my first experience with that sort of stuff as well. So that was again sort of just just like reassures you that you can do it. And then got a duck in the final of the group. And which it's right. I think I got three or four ducks out of the course of the comp and yeah, but that was fine. And then obviously the the Germany innings was it was sort of that felt like it was about time of me getting like having a bit of innings. I sort of felt on the cusp a few times of I got a couple of 20s and 40s and started feeling a lot i'd sort of got the hang of it because you do have to adjust it's very different to how you'd go about it in a normal game like the conditions just like the format of the game so yeah it was nice to have that and sort of it was more of a relief as like i finally showed people how good i am and i've actually sort of done my job and sort of done what you know you can do because it's quite frustrating when you're you know that you can do better than you're doing so that was a big one and then i think there was a game against spain like my first ball for six well, i didn't sort of didn't really think about it i just thought it just sort of like happened almost like you know when you're not really thinking about it and stuff just happens did that and then that sort of Again, I back my best when I'm sort of in that mindset. I don't really think about it. I just, I just sort of do it. I just react to what comes down. Don't start thinking of what they're going to try and bowl here. And like when that happened, I sort of knew then that I was sort of in a good place for the last few days of the comp. And like I was in a really good headspace for the last few, and sort of just really clear on what I wanted to do, how I wanted to go about it. Really. Well, you're in certainly in excellent form, I must say, Tom. In that final, well, the final week, to be honest, but in particular those final few days, just to mention that score against Germany, for those who don't know what we are alluding to, 86 not outs from 25 balls, which included nine sixes and six fours. That was quite an incredible feat, to say the least. And to be honest, it got even better, didn't it, come the final? Because even though the score wasn't as high, Still a red inker, so 71 outs from 24 balls in the final itself to see the England 11 to the victory, to the championship title by eight wickets over a very, very good Dutch 11 as well. I must say they played incredibly good cricket over the course of that tournament and had won it the previous year, didn't they? They beat yeah. England in the final, so there was also that coming into play. In terms of that day, in terms of that occasion, Tom, how does that rank up there in terms of your personal highlights so far? Because that, that's quite the innings, isn't it? Yeah, I'd, I'd put that almost alongside first-class debut, that whole winning the comp and that day and just sort of the two weeks. It was just like it ended up being so much better than I could have ever thought it was. And we had a great group of lads. 
but like, obviously you're always a bit unsure what it's going to be like when it's 13 lads that sort of are in little groups of people that know each other who don't really know each other but everyone gelled really well and it was just it was so good so like, yeah it was unbelievable I imagine it was and just looking at some of the names I mean goodness me it was a strong team wasn't it so Dan Lincoln as the captain, former Middlesex. I was actually there for his T20 debut in 2019. I'll never forget that. He filled in for A.B. de Villiers in Cheltenham and I was there to watch him. So shout out to Dan Lincoln. But obviously yourself, Tom, and then there's the likes of Tom Bevan, who has now gone on to represent Glamorgan and Toby Greatwood as well, formerly of Middlesex and of course of Berkshire as well. So some incredibly strong players in there. And in terms of the tournaments, how would you reflect on it and put it into your own words? Because would you have ever imagined for one second having gone from playing for Linfield Cricket Club in Sussex to being a European cricket champion and playing the likes of Germany, Malta, Switzerland, Spain and the Netherlands? I mean, it's it's a little bit surreal in some ways. Yeah, it is. I, didn't, I haven't really thought about it like that really in terms of that. But yeah, it is funny how a song from a little village in mid-Sussex is all some out there playing European cricket. But yeah, again, we just had such a good group of lads and it was just like it was just a really enjoyable time on and off the pitch. Everyone got on really well. And we just had a great sort of environment and sort of mindset towards it. Like we planned really well for each team and specifics on each player that we're gonna come up against and what matchups we wanted. We planned all that stuff really well. And then once we got to the games, we just backed the matchups, backed that's why our batting order was so different every game was we were just constantly like adapting to what it was and then it was once you've know what you've got to do back you to do it and that was yeah it was just a great environment and great it's a great experience i learned so much from it i yeah the standard was way higher as well than i thought it was going to be so you always see those like funny clips of it on twitter and stuff and some like it's the balls hit the keeper in the head and they've run two and then there's an overthrow and whatever but it's actually there's a lot of really good cricketers there, and it's on. It's, it's only moving up really. Like everyone's getting better, so next year could be really interesting to see and compare. But yeah, it was a great learning experience, and it's just again really different as well. You're bowling balls that you'd never bowl normally in a normal game, and you're hitting balls that you wouldn't normally try and hit for six. So you're learning these new shots, these new like ways of just thinking about the game. Just yeah. I've learned so much from it. I think it's helped me so much moving into this winter, getting ready for next year. Well, I'm incredibly glad to hear that, Tom. And I'm glad to hear that you thought the standard was all right as well, because everyone has seen the videos of the European Cricket League. And I do think that there is almost that predetermined perception of what it's going to be like and what the standard is. But what you have to remember at the end of the day is that for a lot of these nations, they aren't established cricketing countries at all, are they? These guys don't have the facilities that even we have and take for granted in terms of our, our village clubs and our local sides. So you do have to take that into consideration. And to be honest, I just think it's fantastic for the game here in Europe. I mean, we see it in the Euros, don't we, in football? And we have those rivalries against the likes of France and Germany. Wouldn't it be great to have that in cricket one day? It'd yeah. be absolutely fantastic. I mean, we, we've already got games against Ireland, the Netherlands. We've seen them competing very well at this year's World Cup. We lost to Scotland in 2018 at the yeah. Grange as well, so we can't forget that. I just think for European cricket, tournaments like this are massive, and I'd love in the future to watch a team like Germany or Spain or Malta, Switzerland, Romania, whoever. It's just brilliant to see the game growing in this area and I'm all for yeah. it so come 2024 if you can watch it just watch it and Tom I'm guessing if you got the opportunity you'd be straight back over yeah definitely yeah it was so good I'd love to have a chance I think most of us would love to have a chance to sort of defend defend the title really yeah it's good yeah well that's the thing now you've got the the target on the back back yeah. as the the reigning champions of the the 2023 ECC, the European Cricket Championships in 2024. Yeah, watch your back because yeah. I do think the Netherlands they'll come back strong, won't they? They'll have the yeah. they'll have the extra motivation now, won't they? They'll have the, yeah. the tailwind and yeah, they'll <laughs> they want to avenge this year because yeah, they did play so. some very good cricket. But 
I guess, yeah. And But I think the thing that we didn't go into the comms necessarily expect, expecting we were going to win because we had that, that we had the like level of respect of most of the other teams that only play T10 cricket or that's what they train to do. Whereas we're normal cricketers trying to play T10. So we're going into their world almost, as per se. So we have to respect that and sort of can't be too overconfident or anything because it's their yeah their world that's what they do and it's what they train whereas we i practiced probably for a month maybe of t10 based skills and apart from that i'd never really done most of the stuff that we had to do out there so it's like we had that sort of view on it of we can't take anyone too lightly because it's yeah, so they train for it and we're moving into their world. We have to respect it. And yeah, that obviously paid off. And we think we ended up, we worked out what works best against those teams compared to like when you're playing in Netherlands. It's more, of, it's more of a actual cricket match. You have to change your plans compared to that. So yeah, so we just, I think we adapted really well and had our plans. That was the biggest thing for me, how well we planned each game and each matchup and all that the homework that was done before games so if there was a double header so between games we're on like the streams watching what each bowler does trying to work out what they're going to try and do in different scenarios so yeah it was good and that again learn that's also learned like you're learning how to do that well so yeah just learn loads from it well again that is absolutely fantastic here tom and i, I suppose i have to say congratulations as well i can't believe i haven't said that but to yourself and the rest of the lads, done us all proud in particular after what was a very, very rough World Cup. It was nice to see England winning yeah. something in <laughs> 2023. So we'll always have the memories of the yeah. 2023 ECC. And just before we get on to our chat about the future and wrap up today's recording, Tom, just one final question, actually, in that similar vein of, of questioning, I suppose. In terms of T10 cricket, did you find it difficult to adapt? Because I suppose for those of us who haven't played, you'd go, right, okay, there's only 60 balls. You just go out there and try and smack it from ball one. Is that is that the actual strategy towards it? Or is there quite a, a tactical side to T10 as a format? How do you view T10 cricket compared to T20 or or 50 over cricket, for example? I think, I think batting-wise, it's a mix of you just go out there and try and whack it. But you also need to, again, like with we just, it was more tactical in terms of who who do you want to bat against who on their team, in a way more than how you're going to go about it because you we're all good enough cricketers to be able to trust ourselves to just play our own game and score quick enough for us you want to be picked to go. So I think that was that, and then the bowling side I found the most that's the most tactical bowling I've ever had to do. I reckon in any cricket because if you but if you're not on it for a ball or two, all of a sudden you're being hit for two sixes and you're on the back foot and you could go for forty, fifty off your two off your two overs, potentially get hit for thirty odd off an over without the batter really having to do too much if you don't think about it. So yeah. And it's just so it was just such like different plans bowling as well, which I think I can now potentially move across and especially into t20 cricket now if i'm under the pump a bit and someone's got after me a little bit i can then now move to them skills that i've learned in spain and then sort of implement them into my t20 bowling as well now absolutely and i do think it's it's quite interesting actually isn't it the the almost transferable skills between the formats because in t10 cricket you've got 12 deliveries which isn't a lot at all. And as you mentioned, if one of those goes for six, all of a sudden you really are under the pump. So in terms of death bowling skills, in terms of setting the right fields, in terms of delivering in pressure moments, that's definitely transferable. And I'm really happy to hear that you've learned so much, Tom. So yeah, 2024, hopefully, fingers crossed, more of the same. And yeah. England can go back to back, come yeah. that tournament in, in Malaga and... Talking of the future, Tom, before we wrap up today's recording, just looking at the time, an hour has absolutely flown by here. But in terms of your future aspirations heading into next season and, of course, the years beyond, what are you looking to achieve in the game of crickets in both the short term and the long term? Do you have anything in mind, 
any achievements, any accolades, any particular milestones, I suppose, that you set about and, and want to achieve heading into the summer of 2024 and, of course, the years beyond? Uh, well, I think the main the main goal for me at the moment is to try and get back into the county system, really, and sort of play, I'll train over the, over the winter with uni, try and make the most of opportunities, potentially bowling at counties when they come and train here or some of the local counties around make the most of that, get to the season, hopefully play the county fixtures at the start of the year for the unis. Potentially, if I do well in that, that can be a good little kickstart to the season of trying to find places to trial. And then, yeah, hopefully get opportunities to trial about. I'll play for Oxfordshire, hopefully do well in that as well. But again, just, just need to try and find a way back into the county system and then make the most of my opportunity when it does come. And then long-term, just... And just have a nice long career in cricket, potentially playing these different comps around the world. And then obviously everyone's goal is to play for England and play internationally. That would obviously be the dream, but it's a long way to go to get there still. Well, Tom, it goes out saying, mate, but obviously myself and everyone associated with the Counter Cricket Podcast are wishing you all the very best of luck, mates. Honestly, it's been it's been brilliant to see you in the T ten and performing so well in the European Cricket Championships and yeah, if you just keep on plugging away, just keep on putting in those performances for Loughborough with the UCCE scheme, of course, with the likes of Oxfordshire in the National Counties, and in any trials, you never know. Life's funny, isn't it? And as long yeah. as you keep on putting yourself in the shop window, getting those opportunities, giving it your all, that's all you can do. And if, a mate- if an opportunity materialises, fantastic. If it doesn't, one of them. All you can say is that I try my best, and it seems like you're doing that, mate. So... We want to see you back in the county circuits. There aren't enough left arm wrist spinners. So if you could join the likes of, of Jake and Freddie, that'd absolutely be fantastic. And yeah, we're rooting for you, pal. Fingers crossed that an opportunity does show itself in the summer of 2024 and, of course, the years beyond. But before we say our final goodbyes for the episode, Tom, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, businesses, anything uh, like that? Nah, I'm right. right. I'm all good. Fair enough, mates. Well, very, very modest. But folks, if you do want to check out Tom and keep up with his progress, we'll leave the links to one of the socials in the podcast description below. But that is it for myself and Tom for today's episode of the Counter Cricket Podcast. So each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.